Welcome to season two and a special edition of the EU Finance Podcast. My name is Eidos Polobinskas and I'm your host. By special edition, I mean that this episode is being released outside the usual combination of podcast and monthly EU finance newsletter, to which you'll find a link in the show notes. It's also special because there's been a massive uptick in Russian disinformation, and the truth is needed to combat that. Russian trolls and disinformation are like a cartoon pollution factory running 24-7. They're always pumping something out, sometimes more, sometimes less, but always pumping effluent. In its war against the West, Ukraine is an important goal for Russia. EU sanctions were levied in response to Russia invading its peaceful, democratic neighbor, and we see an alternating cycle of Russian propaganda that A, they're unfair and need to be lifted, and B, they're not working, so they need to be lifted. The latest narrative is B, they're not working. Article after article appears in world media. Russian proxies and populist politicians parrot the same line. Why? I've asked the EU sanctions envoy, David O'Sullivan, back to the podcast to shed some light on the subject. He's at the forefront of keeping up with Russia's push to circumvent sanctions, so I can't think of anyone who knows better what's really going on. Welcome back to the podcast, Mr. O'Sullivan. It's great to see you again. Thank you. Lovely to be here. Okay, straight into it. Russia has been spending massive amounts of money and time on its influence and disinformation campaigns. One of their biggest campaigns, especially these days, is to convince people that sanctions are not working. Why do they do that? Well, I, I think the, the Russian propensity for propaganda is well known. And obviously, in this context, uh, they're trying to erode Western support for sanctions by implying that they're not having much of an impact. Uh, whereas, in fact, any any analysis of the fact shows that sanctions are having a considerable impact and are seriously impairing Russia's ability to um, maintain and to finance and to continue this war. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, I guess then that leads uh, lends a lot of credence to, to what we Lithuanians have known for um, probably centuries, uh, that there's an awful lot of truth in the saying that don't believe anything the Kremlin says until they deny it. Uh, I mean, it, essentially, if Russia says sanctions aren't working, that really means in their parlance that they're admitting that, that they are working. So that leads me to, to the, 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 the crux of our conversation. Are sanctions working? Yes, they are. Uh, I think if we look at the, the triple objective that we have for our sanctions, uh, the first is to deny Russia access to the technology needed for sophisticated weaponry. Secondly, to de deprive the, the Kremlin of the, the revenue to finance this war. And thirdly, uh, the need to impose a, a high economic and political cost uh, to the uh, military industrial complex uh, in, in as a consequence of their unprovoked aggression. If you look across all three of these areas, I think we can show considerable uh, success of sanctions. Turning to the technology, uh, it is clear that Russia is struggling to access the Western technology that they needed to try and make their weapons as, as lethal and as sophisticated as possible. Uh, we have identified a list of advanced technologies based on what the Ukrainian colleagues have found on the battlefield. Uh, and we have been working very hard with uh, countries, potentially uh, platform countries for circumvention, to shut off 
the ability of Russia to acquire these technological products, uh, either from us directly or from uh, intermediary countries. And this is already showing uh, in the extent to which they're reaching out now to uh, Iran and to North Korea in trying to get uh, some kind of weapons uh, and trying to uh, compensate for the lack of access to Western technology. But this is an area where uh, we have had, I think, uh, quite a quite a good deal of success. On the revenue side, uh, if there were not sanctions, Russia would have many hundreds of billions of money available uh, for funding this war. Uh, of course, we have not shut off completely or not sought to shut off completely the exports of hydrocarbons, particularly oil. So revenue is still coming in, but it is much lower than it was before the war. Uh, and uh, it is... It is um, proving challenging for Russia to continue to, to find the public finances, especially as they have basically put their economy on a war footing. So they are cannibalizing the rest of the economy. Uh, they are cutting back on areas of social welfare, education, uh, research, investment. Uh, investment in, in Russia has basically stagnated. It's at levels equivalent to 200, 2011. Uh, if you look at the uh, public finances, 30% of public money is now being spent on defense. Uh, this is a massive amount of money, uh, and defense expenditure represents maybe somewhere between six, eight, nine, six, seven, eight percent of GDP. So there is there is a massive cannibalization of the economy, a focus on the military to at the cost of the productive and the innovative sectors. Uh, I like to say this is a bit like a slow puncture. Uh, it's not a blowout of the tire, uh, but the air is escaping, and sooner or later the vehicle is going to become uh, impossible to drive. Of course, we might have wished that this would happen faster uh, and even to a greater extent, uh, and that is why I do understand why some people get frustrated. It's not just the Kremlin that sometimes says the sanctions are not working. Sometimes supporters of sanctions uh, want to be critical to make us do more and to shut off the loopholes and to close the some of the exceptions and derogations that are there. I understand that motivation, but I think uh, we have to be very careful uh, to be able to explain that indeed these sanctions are having a considerable impact on Russia's ability to access technology, to fund the war, uh, and to uh, maintain a, a productive and, and modern economy. Mm-hmm. Well, um, it, it also, just uh, you mentioned that uh, we're l- looking for ways to to improve. And um, while we're recording this, the, the 12th uh, sanctions package by the EU has just recently been adopted, where, if I understand correctly, there's a fair amount of lessons learned plugged into that package to help um, to help plug some of those holes, as it were. Um, it, from your description of how much money is being pulled out of the Russian economy from its people, from you know, the social programs, et cetera, that they might have that they might have uh, had prior, and all that being pumped into the into the war economy. It sounds like sanctions are indeed working, and that Russia is indeed uh, pulling out all the stops. And probably that's one of the reasons why the the propaganda pa- campaign is 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 so strong. I'm sure that they're also doing other things, not just propaganda. They're probably also looking for ways to get around the sanctions, right? I mean, what is the biggest obstacle to making sanctions make Russia leave Ukraine in peace as soon as possible? 
Well, I, I, I'm not sure that sanctions alone will ever do that. Uh, I mean, I think that's one thing that maybe we also need to put in context, uh, not to oversell what sanctions can achieve. I mean, they are part of our policy response uh, to the uh, Russia's unprovoked full-scale invasion of Ukraine, uh, but they alone are not going to solve the problem. Uh, we need uh, the military assistance, uh, and we clearly need to step that up, as we as we can see. Uh, we need the macroeconomic and the humanitarian assistance, uh, and we need the political support of the kind that's being discussed uh, uh, this week now in the European Council uh, of giving the Ukrainians a perspective of life after the war, not only that we will commit to rebuild, but that they will have a, a European perspective uh, and a prospect of improving improving their lives because that they are fighting uh, for the freedom of their country, but you also want them to, to, to believe and to hope that that will uh, be an even better country than it was uh, before the war started. So I, I think it's all of this together that provides the support to Ukraine that is absolutely vital. On the sanctions side, clearly uh, full implementation of our sanctions, closing loopholes, uh, shutting down circumvention. Uh, I think we have to be very honest. We will never completely shut down circumvention. Uh, uh, but what we try to do is make it harder, slower, and more expensive for Russia to circumvent the sanctions. So every time we shut down one channel of circumvention, yes, they probably invent another, but it takes a bit more time. Uh, uh, it, it, it's, it's harder to do. It's slower. And at every stage, every additional stage in the supply chain that you have to add a new link, somebody's taking their 10% and the, the, the final price that Russia is paying is much higher than that which they would have had to pay before the war. So all of these things combined, uh, I think, uh, continue to put the pressure on Russia uh, and to squeeze their economy. I, I've seen some suggestions that if this continues for another year or two, it might take Russia a generation mm -hmm. to recover from the damage which has been done to their economy. Let's not forget also on the supply side that uh, nearly a million people have left Russia, some of them the best and the brightest and most well qualified. Uh, there are huge labor market shortages uh, in, in Russia. Uh, and uh, the, the, the Russian economy is being set back many, many years as a result of Mr. Putin's folly. Mm -hmm. Speaking of the best and brightest, and this is probably going to be my last question, um, I understand that the team that you work with here in the European Commission, the, the sanctions unit, that they've set up a platform that is called the whistleblower tool, um, where people, especially in countries that might... Um, uh, wittingly or unwittingly be a part of the circumvention channels. And I understand that there's been an uptick in uh, the amount of, of, of um, uh, people sending in tips or information about, about um, uh, evidence of circumvention. How, what do you think of that? Do you think it's important for people to, just normal common people on the ground, if they see something, to, to use the whistleblower tool where they remain anonymous, so they're not going to be prosecuted by their, by their governments if their governments are, 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 are want to do so? Do you think that's effective and it does it help your work? Well, I, I think all sources of information about potential circumvention are very important. Uh, I welcome the work of investigative journalists. Uh, I welcome the work of NGOs. I mean, sometimes it's a bit embarrassing. You know, I mean, I sometimes wake up and, and find an article in a newspaper saying sanctions are not working. Uh, here's a big loophole. Uh, of course, you know, I would rather that 
those articles didn't have to get written. But actually, I fully respect the journalists who do it. They've done their work. They have exposed sometimes very accurately uh, flaws in our system, things that need to be corrected, sometimes at the level of the member states more than at the level of, of the commission. Uh, but uh, this is very valuable uh, and we need this. We need a sense of public awareness. And so a whistleblower uh, facility where people can anonymously uh, send information uh, to the commission, which can then, depending on what it involves, uh, be shared with, with member states, uh, is very valuable. We need a, a great common sense of public purpose in this. I mean, we have to understand this is a, an existential moment for, for Europe. I mean, th those of us who've been working uh, for a long time on European integration never dreamed that we would imagine, or could imagine that we would find ourselves with this kind of great power conflict raging uh, on, on, on European territory. Uh, the stakes here are tremendously high. And now, sanctions are a part of that, a very big part of it. Uh, and, you know, we need people to understand that we absolutely have to make these sanctions work and we have to con continuously uh, upgrade them, improve them, refine them, identify some of the weaknesses in, in the application and correct that. So uh, all, all information about potential, you know, circumvention or ineffective implementation of our sanctions is heartily to be welcomed. Mr. O'Sullivan, it has been a pleasure. And thank you and your team for, for all the really good work that you do. And in this, as you said, existential, existential project that we have for the defense of European values and for democracy. So thank you very much for coming to the podcast. I look forward to seeing you again. Well, thank you very much. But I mean, and it, I'm certainly lucky with the team I have, but I have to say I'm full of admiration uh, for what the people in DG FISMA have done. Uh, it's nothing short of a miracle what they've been able to achieve. So uh, the, the sanctions team in FISMA bear much of the credit for what we've been able to do. Thank you very much. Okay, here's my take. Sanctions are indeed working. If they weren't, Russia wouldn't be expending so many resources and effort to convince us otherwise. The false narratives pumped out by Russia's disinformation machine follow a pretty simple formula. They have for ages. That formula is usually, if the Kremlin denies it, it's probably true. Also, numbers don't lie. An honest analysis of the numbers shows that the Russian economy has indeed been affected and its war machine has been impacted. Have sanctions broken it? No, not yet. Sanctions are not a silver bullet, nor a fast-acting tablet. They are a tool to effect change in the behavior of a regime over the medium and long term. We want them to act fast because we want Russia to stop killing Ukrainians sooner rather than later. But defending democracy and European values is a long game. Sanctions work but they're just one tool in the toolbox to get the job done. There's a link to more Russian disinformation campaigns in the show notes. I highly recommend EU versus Disinfo. They're really good. Please share this podcast, like, and subscribe. That's all for today. Bye.